That's better. I'm on now. What a great testimony, wasn't it? I mean, I just love to hear what the difference Jesus makes to people. That, that's, that's why we're here. That, this is what we're about, isn't it? God. Just a, a, a quickie before I get started. Uh, somebody, I, I think you're from Iran, but I wasn't sure. I, I don't know if you're here. Asked me if we had a church in Coventry. Well, we do, and I have the details. So I, I, somebody asked me on... No, I don't, somebody asked me last week, so I've got the details. If not, I'll make sure I'll leave it with Paul Cattrall in the office on Tuesday. Right. Um, if you'd like to turn to Colossians, please, chapter 4. Uh, we'll be up on the screen, but that's okay. Just thanks, Johnny, for leading us this morning again. Um, just early on in worship, I just felt God say, tell everybody I love them. And, and then we began to talk about the love of God. And, and, you know, it's his presence that counts and it's a presence that matters. And he's, our God's a God who loves to be present with us. He's not a far off. He's, he's not far away. And then, then the, just the whole thing of, uh, I was thinking about, you know, Jesus wrestling in the garden. Uh, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Uh, and, then, and, and then Roger's saying, he's been there. And, and what happened in that situation was he was fearful, but he had all his friends, and none of them could even stay awake. And he said, couldn't you actually stay awake with me for one hour? He's on his own. And he's been there, and it's wonderful, and he did it because he loves you. Yes. That's the point. That's the motivation, that he loves you personally, intimately, passionately. You individually are loved by God this morning. It's not just, oh, he loves us. Yeah, he loves us, but he loves you and me individually, passionately, persistently, forever. Since Christmas, we've been working our way through the book of Colossians on Sunday mornings. And last Sunday, a bit different. So uh, I sort of preached the gospel, didn't do Colossians. It was, all the baptisms were great, weren't they? Yeah, I, th- I think, ten baptisms, hallelujah, let's have another ten soon. You know, that's, that's where I'm at, really. But two weeks ago, Raj looked at verses t- 2 to 6 of chapter 4, and today our focus is on the rest of the chapter, verses 7 to 18. Um, and next Sunday, I've asked Simon if he will finish off our Colossians series by giving us like an overview of the book, just reminding us what we've dealt with, what we've looked at, and so on. And then in two weeks' time, we start a whole new series on uh, community. Okay, community of the church, really, the community of God, and different facets of community, that sort of thing, and how we will function, and that type of thing. But for today, I'd like to read from verse 2 of chapter 4 through to the end of the chapter, just to give it context. Paul's writing to this young church. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our friend and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that's happening here. 
My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it's also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus that, that you com- see to it that you complete the work you've received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. As usual, I've given myself three points. Um, the importance of team, high profile or anonymous, and together on mission. And before I, before I get on with my first point, by way of introduction, I think it's worth reminding ourselves of a few things. And I've probably said a lot of this before, but I've discovered people don't always listen. And they don't remember what I said, even ten minutes earlier. So it always bears repeating. Paul wrote this letter from prison in Rome. We don't know exactly the conditions he was under, but in a number of places in his letters, he talks about being in chains. That said, it seems clear that people could meet with him and generally come and go. It's likely that people brought him food uh, and and looked after him that way, generally cared for him in all sorts of different ways. We also see there were at least two others of his team who were with him in prison. Paul refers to Aristarchus as a fellow prisoner, but also Epaphras, He was a prisoner with him too, because in Paul's letter to Philemon, verse 23, he says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. How do you feel about, let's be in prison together for Jesus? How how do you fancy that? You know, it's it's like, and, and you've got to understand, Paul was in prison for a long, long, long time. Okay? I, um, I'll, I'll talk about him now. A bit of a hero of mine is a guy called Watchman Nee. Um, that's the English version of it, Chinese guy. He, 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 he lived before the war he, uh, and after the war. He was hugely influential in China and in this country, all over the world, really. I've got loads of his books. Um, incredible insight, man before his time. But in 1952, was arrested and put in prison and served the rest of his life, about 24 years, in prison for Jesus' sake. Okay? And then it was, he, he was released, and about a year later he dies. Okay? To be in prison for Jesus' sake for 24 years is often the cost of reaching the world for Jesus. But what you look at, you look at the fruit that is now produced. You look at the fruit, what's going on in China. Millions and millions and millions today of people in China are being swept into the kingdom of God. Okay? You've got to understand, people who sowed their lives and gave their lives and were very influential, influential 50, 60, 70, 80, even 100 years ago, sowed seed which is being 
There's huge reaping going on today all over the world in different parts, and particularly in China. Phenomenal, phenomenal church growth in China. Doesn't make the news, but it's probably the biggest thing that's going on in China today. Okay, so, so Paul, he says, I'm in prison. I'm in prison with my fellow workers. There's three of us in chains for the kingdom's sake. And, and actually, he never got out of prison. He, he actually, in the end, was executed. We don't know exactly how. But the, the issue is this. Look at what's produced. He was the, the apostle to the Gentiles. We're here because of him in prison with his fellow workers, writing letters, serving faithfully. We are inheritors of their commitment and their sacrifice. We need to understand that's the Christian life. It's not like, oh, I want it easy. It's got to be nice. It's got to meet my need. No, no, we're about a mission. We're about a purpose that is bigger. It's eternal. It's God's, and we're part of it. Doesn't that excite you? <sighs> All right. Sorry, it excites me. I can't help it. We also need to remind ourselves that in those days, there was no instant communication. No mobile phone. Hallelujah. No internet. No internet. Any letters Paul sent out to the different churches had to be hand-delivered. And then after they'd been read out at that church and probably hand copies made, the letter was then taken on to another local church, and then they did the same there, and they would be getting letters back from the local churches, in this case the church in Laodicea. Clearly in those days everything happened at a much slower pace. (sighs) Wouldn't that be nice? It's not frantic. They couldn't get in the car. They couldn't pop here or pop there. Everything was like a three days journey on a donkey. Hallelujah. Anybody fancy a three? No. That's been true, though, most of history. We read about history. We read about church history. Do you know what? The pace of life has been the same for most of history. It's only in the last few hundred years things have changed. And it's only in the last 50 years or so that the speed and availability of communication has grown exponentially. The whole mobile phone revolution has only taken off in the last 15 or 20 years. Young people, can you imagine life without a mobile phone? Oh, no. Without a computer? Oh, no. Without means of recording television? Oh, my goodness. Having television in black and white. Oh, terrible. We have no idea. I remember when. I'm old enough to say. I remember when. Who remembers when there was only black and white TV? You see all the hands gone up? That's a sign of your age. Gina and I got married. We didn't have a telly. And then we, we bought a little black and white one from Russia. They were cheap. When it went right, I bought another one. It was cheap. Little one like that. And we rented one, a black and white one, and we watched the moon landing. I, 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 do you remember? I've got, I took photos off the screen. <laughs> I saw that foot go on the ground. I remember the day we bought our first color television. I went to the shop and I carried it home all the way. <laughs> it's just great. And then I remember, I think it was in Milton Keynes. So sometimes from 1980, maybe 84, 85, sometime around then, I remember somebody gave me a Betamax video recorder. <laughs> huge, great thing. 
do you remember? Do you remember videotape? It's all going. Gone, gone, gone. Everything's just gone. Exponential. Things have changed. Why am I reminding you of, this, of, you of these things this morning? Because the lack of all of these modern things has never seemed to hinder Jesus in building his church. In fact, there are times in history when we hear of revival spreading like wildfire across countries. In the 1860s and 1870s, the Salvation Army, I talk about the Salvation Army a lot because that's my history, but in the 1860s and 70s, the Salvation Army grew from one church to a thousand churches in 10 years, all over the world. Now that's a hundred church plants a year for 10 years. That is two church plants a week for 10 years. We haven't a clue. With all our instant modern communication, we could not do that. That is a work of God. And he'll do it again. Is there a key then to this seeming success. Well, the first thing we must remember is that Jesus said to Peter, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Nothing will prevent Jesus building his church. That's why I'm confident the church is well and healthy and will not fail. The church is the answer to the need of the world because we bring the gospel of Jesus. The church is Jesus. He's building it. It's his church. He tends it. He cares for it. He looks after it. He makes it flourish. That gives me confidence. Do I have confidence in me? Perish the thought. Do I have confidence in you? Uh, sometimes. Should I have? Well, a little bit. I need a drink. Um, yeah, I have confidence in you. I'm confident that you haven't got enough. I'm confident that you can't do it without Jesus. I'm confident that all your natural gifts will never see the church of Jesus Christ established. But I'm confident of you, full of the Holy Spirit, will transform a society. That's the truth. That's the truth. But is there another key? The first key to that sort of success, Jesus builds his church. And there are seasons throughout church history when God starts to blow and revival fire hits nations. And without the aid of mobile phones or any communication, there's a rampant fire of the Holy Spirit and people are being swept into the kingdom in their hundreds and their thousands and their millions. That's what happens. I dare to believe for it again. I'm asking God for it again. I'm asking God for it here in the UK. I am. Why not? The only thing that stops us asking for it is that we don't think he can do it. Well, he can do it. He's done it before. He's building his church. He can do it again. So I'm saying, do it now then. Please, in my day. But whether you do or don't, my confidence is not in that sort of success. My confidence is in him who loves me who's made me his child, and I will worship him whether we see revival or whether we don't. We don't live according to how well everything's going, do we? Do we? But I believe, okay, there's another key, and, and I think this is a key that affects us. Prayer. 
Right at the beginning of Colossians, we saw that the Apostle Paul and his team never stopped praying for this young church. They were praying. They were wrestling. We're praying for you. We're working at it. And here at the end of the same letter in chapter 4, Paul says to us in chapter 2, devote yourselves to prayer. Verses 12 and 13 of this chapter, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Jesus Christ, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him. He's working hard. Do you ever feel humbled when you hear that sort of thing? You know what? I I don't say this to crow, but but my mom and dad pray for Jubilee every day. Every day. They pray for my, my brother's church every day. They pray for Jean and I every day. They pray for our children every day. They pray for our grandchildren every day. And they pray, and they pray God's blessing on Jubilee every day and every day and every day. And you don't really know them. They've been here twice. But they're praying every day, every day, every day. My grandma prayed for me as a little boy every day, every day, till she died when I was about 18 or 19. I'm a victim of prayer. The church is a victim of prayer. We need to be a praying people. The key, the part we play is prayer. We can chase our tails, we can have all sorts of fantastic schemes and ideas, but at the end of the day, we get on our knees and we call on God and say, God, in our day, renew your deeds. In our day, transform society. In our day, grant us open doors into this community. In our day, anoint us, empower us, fill us and use us. Prayer, prayer is key. We need to be a praying people at Jubilee. Prayer is more important than all our modern communication technology because it's through prayer that we communicate directly and instantly with Jesus who is building his church. We're part of the church and amazingly prayer moves the hand of God. Isn't that amazing? That's our part. It's our key. Now to my first point. That was just an introduction, just to warm you up. The importance of team. Team is essential for a church to grow and be effective. Jesus had a team of 12. When he sent them out on on mission trips, he sent them two by two or often more than that. You know what? I've worked with lots of leaders over the years who talk about team, but in practice operate a one-man ministry. We use the word team, team, team. But in practice, we run a one-man ministry. It's not team at all. To develop team takes time. Anybody in a team needs to feel a part of the process of the team. Team members aren't just servants of the leader or advisors to the leader. Teams are all about shared vision, shared passion, shared relationship, shared task. As I say, I never cease to be amazed at how reluctant people are to do the work of growing and looking after team. I meet with church leaders, regional leaders, in all sorts of settings, and they'll say, what's the meeting for? And I'll say, how about being together? 
No, no, we need another reason. As though being together isn't reason enough for a team. To be together, to pray together, to share together, to get to know one another, to love one another is reason of itself. And out of that relationship and out of that love and out of that prayer comes vision, comes God speaking. Do you remember it said that they were praying, all the elders in one place, and it said, separate from me, Barnabas and Saul. Was it Barnabas and Saul? You're looking at me vague there, Simon. Sorry. I'm talking about the Bible. Do you, do, 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 do you remember? It came out of being together. It comes out of that. It, it, you see, Christian team, biblical team, is different from the world's team. The world's team is very task-oriented, task which is fine. But I would say biblical principles work better in the world anyway. Team building, being together, learning to love one another and care for one another is the foundation of effective team. Interestingly, God himself is a team. He's a team of three. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Co-equal, co-eternal, co-existent. We think, oh, I don't know how that works. No, no, you probably don't, but he's still a team. Right at the beginning, he says, when he's talking about creation, let us make. It's like, let's have a chat. Let's, let's have some shared vision. Let's have some, let us do this together. It's not autocratic, it's community, it's together. God himself is a team. For me, Jesus is the best example of team development I know. He spent lots of time with his disciples. He taught them, he modeled life for them. And eventually in John 15, 15, he says this, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know, what his, master's, doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends for everything that I've learned from my Father I have made known to you. It's so important that we understand biblical team. It's as much about relationship as it is about task. We live in a world that's task-driven, task-focused. What are we going to do? How are we going to get it done? You know what? Being together, loving one another, Caring for one another, being in relationship is as much about team. It's about team. It's about care. Every local church is just like a big team with a shared vision and a shared task. And our number one priority as a big team together, to love one another. Our number one priority, love one another, spend time together, get to know one another, the Apostle Paul calls us the body of Christ. I'm going to read to you that from 1 Corinthians 12, because it just, it just says how vital this is. The body is a unit, though it's made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. And we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Now, the body is not made up of one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not, be for, that, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. 
If the whole eye were an eye, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. A bit like a team. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern one for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with us. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. We're a part of it. We're a team. Together for God. Together for purpose. It's absolutely essential in church life that we understand we're together for God. We need teams And we need teams within teams if we're to play our part and see Jubilee become all God plans it to be. The next point is this, high profile or anonymous. The the problem with any history, and especially church history, both ancient and modern, that it doesn't tell us everything. Do you ever find that? Do you get frustrated? For every person written about, for every person of seeming huge significance, there would be many tens or even hundreds of people who played a very key part in what's been written about. Do you find that? Yet they hardly ever get a mention. I love reading the stories of the, the missionaries who went to the ends of the earth. I love reading about Wesley and Whitfield. I, I love reading about William Booth and this Salvation Army that goes around the world. But you know what? He was just one guy. They were just guys full of the Holy Spirit. But you know what? There was teams and teams and teams of people working their socks off. Well, not literally, but you know what I mean? Working and working. They never even get a mention. Paul here in his letter to the Colossians mentions a few people in his team, eight of them, who, were, who clearly were very significant in helping him fulfill his calling. They were friends together and loved one another a great deal. But for all those who got a mention, I wonder how many didn't make it into the letter. Other great friends who made a huge difference. How about the people who cooked food for the the three prisoners every day and brought it to them? How about those who prayed faithfully for Paul and his team every day? Behind the scenes, praying and praying and praying. Do you ever wonder about those people? I find I do all the time. I call these people the anonymous heroes. You see, in church life, for every person you hear or read about, there will be often hundreds of anonymous heroes heroes who have been absolutely key in enabling their effectiveness. How, how about the person who led Billy Graham to the Lord? He is actually mentioned in one or two, really, but nobody ever thinks about that. We just look at the hero. We, look at, we listen to Billy Graham and go, what a man of God. But what about the people who were behind the scenes? What about the people who, who worked and worked and worked and worked who've never made it into a book? 
This is how the body works. This is how church works. This is how team works. The question that comes to mind, however, is this. How do we feel about being anonymous? How do we feel about being anonymous? In our modern society, people seem to be, they're just desperate for, to be famous. They're desperate for recognition. TV shows like The X Factor, The Voice, The Apprentice, all feed an appetite to be fit, famous, to be significant, to have the world's approval. And you know what? It creeps into church life too. The desire for a higher profile, the desire to be noticed and approved of, and so on. Now, obviously, we all like being valued and appreciated. That's quite normal, and actually we should be. However, at the end of the day, we will all at some point be taken for granted. We will feel unappreciated. We'll feel misunderstood. How will we be then? I, I was thinking as I was preparing this, and this isn't a go at worship leaders, but, but I, I, I've frightened me the number of... I remember meeting with a, a whole load of, of young people. I think they were in Bedford on your team, because um, we used to be a training base. And uh, I, I just asked a lot of them, and, and what are you aiming for? Half of them wanted to be worship leaders. I want to be a worship leader. I want to be a worship leader. I want to, I want to do CDs. I want to write songs. I want to... And you think, really? Is that, is that the goal? To be famous? to make a CD or two, to write some songs and get some royalties. I'm not in any way decrying worship leaders. Please, please, we need more of them. But, but you know what? It's not about profile. It's not about being famous. It's about serving Jesus. The important thing to remember is this. None of us are ever anonymous to God. He's the one we serve. His well done is the only well done that really matters. I so appreciate those who serve us faithfully here in Jubilee by putting out the chairs week by week, by setting up running the PA system, I value that so much because I remember the days in, when, in our church plant in, in Milton Keynes when I was there putting out the church chairs and it was so bad sometimes I had to play the organ. That was really bad. <laughs> do, 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 I mean, just three chords and a, hopefully a tune. And then Gene did it. That wasn't bad. That was better, but just. Right. <laughs> I, I remember what it cost to set up church week after week after week. I remember when we met in one room, 60 people in really what wasn't much bigger than a living room, a big living room, and, and the toilet was outside in the yard and that, the sink was in the corner. It, that was it. I remember those days. It was hard work. It was hard graft. The only people who survived were the people who were prepared to get their hands dirty. I so appreciate the people who come down here because we don't have our own building who come down here on a Sunday morning and set up for us before half of us are out of bed, I guess. Well, that might be an insult, but you know what I'm getting at. Setting up the PA, wiring it all up every week. 
I so appreciate that. Running it. I so appreciate those who provide us with coffee and donuts as we arrive. Hallelujah. You notice I don't eat donuts when I arrive. I did it first, but every time I had a jam donut, I went, and it went down my shirt. That's true. So I just don't, don't take the risk now. If I can grab one at the end, I try, but usually they're gone. That's not a plea to keep one. It's okay. I also appreciate those who then put it all away again when we're finished. You see, we come and we worship and go, oh, isn't God lovely? Thank you, Lord, it's wonderful. I'm going home now, I want my dinner. It still has to be taken down. It still has to be put away. We still have to leave it as we found it. That's Christian servanthood. This is what it means to be part of team. This is what it means to be part of church. The, the nitty-gritty, down-to-earth, nuts-and-bolts-of-life is what it means to serve Jesus. I so appreciate those who run, run Song Pro for us and project, organize this on the screen. All we do is see the thing and sing. But it happens because people take time to do it. I promise you, there will be times when everyone involved in those things will feel anonymous, taken for granted, not appreciated. So I say this again. None of us are ever anonymous to God. And it's in, in the end, it's Jesus who we serve, isn't it? Yes. Isn't it? Yes. We do it for him whether people are cheering us on and applauding or whether nobody sees. We do it for him. We serve him. Now to my last point. Together on mission. The important thing for us to know and understand is that the church that Jesus is building is a people devoted to him and together on mission. Church is not something that we attend once a week. Church is a body. It's a team of people put together by God for purpose. We are the dwelling place of Jesus on the earth. We're called to serve his purposes on the earth in our day. Here at Jubilee, we are a people together on mission. We each bring our unique gifts, our character, our walk with God to the team. For this big team called Jubilee to work effectively, however, we need to be broken down into smaller teams where we can all be loved and cared for, where we can be friends together and where we can play our part effectively in the outworking of the vision of Jubilee. These smaller teams we'll call community groups with their own leadership team and with their own vision and mission and so on. The important thing for everyone in Jubilee is that we have an opportunity to be involved and play a part in the outworking of the vision really important. From time to time, people get added to us. Praise God. From time to time, people leave us. That always saddens me. Moments like that, I think, come on, God. And Jesus whispers, don't you trust me, Paul? So appreciate that, that about standing on the rock. So appreciate that we're built on the rock. We stand firm on him who's building his church. And you know what? People come and people go, but Jesus builds his church forever. 
That's the nature of what we're called to. We are single-minded. We are focused on him. We are part of... And you know what? I, it, it's sad when people go, and I, I, I'm not criticizing people for going or anything. All I'm saying is this. As far as me and my house are concerned, we're here to serve the Lord until we drop, so to speak. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's not about what's in it for us. It's how can I play a part? How can each of us play our unique part in the outworking of vision? Because when you're playing your part in the outworking of vision, suddenly you find fulfillment on the inside. Suddenly you think, I know why I'm here. I know what I'm for. But for that to work, we need to be part of something. We need to be plugged into something. We need to get involved with other people, not just attend on Sundays. We work together in the outworking of our vision. What is our vision? I've shared some of this before, but I've had a couple of study days this week. That It's rare. I must get more of them. I had three days, actually. I had Wednesday and Thursday just thinking about structuring for growth and praying and dreaming and planning. And, and then I had Friday preparing this it was wonderful. I, I thought, oh God, I want to do more of this. But it, this is what, I want to share with you what God's put in my heart. All right? The, the eldership will be spending time praying into this and many other things over the next few months. But, but I, I don't want it just to be the elders have come up with a vision. Uh, we're a team. The church are a team. I want the whole church involved in the thrashing out and working out what God's calling us to. What does it look like? How does it work? How can we be effective? It's not just the elders have a plan and tell us what to do. It's we together are involved, bringing our unique gifts and, and all of those things. So important. That's why I'm sharing it like this. I want everyone to pray into these things because we're a people together on mission. And the mission, of course, always is to reach people with the gospel so that they become wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. That, that is what we're about all the time. But this is where I got to on vision. And I, I've shared probably this all before, but it's got three elements to it. As far as I see, it's this. To see, our vision is to see the whole of Teesside transformed at every level by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's, that's the first part of it. Second part of it is that we be a center of revival in our nation. And the third part is that we reach out to the ends of the earth with the love of God. Can you live with that? Yeah. Now you look at that and go, <sighs> do you, do you, you look at it and go, <sighs> well, that's, <sighs> how do you do that? Don't, don't you look at that and go, <sighs> that's not, how do you do that? Impo See all of Teesside transformed by the power of the gospel. You, <sighs> do, don't you think, well, that's nice, that would be lovely. <laughs> well, yes. No. Oh. Is God able? Whole nations have been changed as the gospel has come. I believe this whole community can be changed through the power of the gospel. At every level, physically, spiritually, emotionally, every level, employment, all of that sort of stuff, housing, everything can be changed through the power of the gospel. Now, I am aware, I'm 63 in June. Do I think this can happen in the next five years? I don't think it'll be fully worked out. But this is our vision. This is why we're here. 
This is why we're in Teesside. It wasn't that we might have a big church where we all gather on a Sunday, dance up and down and say, isn't God good? That's nice to do. It's for his glory. But God, we are his dwelling place in Teesside for purpose. Yes? This will, of course, be worked out in partnership with other churches. It's not just about Jubilee. Perish the thought. But I'm working at this. You need to know I'm working at this. I'm praying about this. I, I'm, I'm thinking about this. This is where my, my energy goes. This is, this is I, I can't explain it other than that, if, if, if you know what I mean. At the end of the day, this is, we have to have this big vision. And so all the time I'm, I'm saying, God, add to us the people who will enable this vision and it, help us grow. I, I, people are joining us. Another couple who, who came, were here two weeks ago, right? He was an elder in a church down South New Frontiers Church. He is very entrepreneurial. He developed a whole social outreach charity, phenomenal thing. It's run for years and years and years. And then, then they had to leave and, and go look after parents. Well, they want to come and join us. And he, he phoned me this week and said, please, can I come and join you? Because I want to be part of the adventure. Okay? And I'm thinking, yeah, Okay. <laughs> The, the, the thing is this, he brings some unique gifts. Now, I believe it when they get here, like everybody. I, I've heard people say we want to come. He's taking steps right now, okay? Working out to sell up, all the rest of it. He's even talking about being here by, by September. Is it all about this guy? No, it's not. But we need people with different gifts. There are some gifts that are missing right now. We need some gifts to come in to enable some big things to happen. And I, all I just think is, God, help us. Help this team be the team it needs to be. We, we need, in this mix, the team it needs to be. But we each need to play our part. And it's not about profile. It's not about recognition. It's about serving Jesus and seeing the vision. I, I, I love this. I get excited about that vision. I'm working on it, okay? And to that end, Jubilee Elders are meeting this Wednesday evening with the eldership team from Middlesbrough Community Church. We're meeting to pray together, to build friendship and relationship. I'm looking forward to that. They're looking forward to that. We're not talking about merging churches. We're talking about working in partnership with other groups of people who have the same passion, the same vision, to see Teesside transformed with the gospel. Okay? There are others too, but this is a start. Because it's not just about having a task. It's not just about having a plan. It's about being friends. It's about knowing and loving one another on the journey. And so we're going to give time to these eldership teams meeting together, to spend time together, to pray together, to love one another, to get to the point where we can say, we're standing shoulder to shoulder. We, we, will, we will be in prison together if we have to, for Jesus' sake. That's what we're about. Also, last Tuesday, I think it was, the leader of uh, Millsborough Community Church, Terry Young, and his wife Anne, came round to Jean and I, and we, we got a Chinese meal in. That was a great evening. I mean, the food was good. But, no, we're just talking about Jesus and the, the heart they have for Teesside. It's glorious. It's wonderful. And then, if you look at the end of it, reaching out to the ends of the, the, the earth, the love of God... Uh, had an email from Yalava in Turkey this week, and uh, 
We have a church plant there that's been going for many years. They've had an, uh, an influx of about 35 Iranians over recent months, and they're very keen for Jean and I to take Sarush and Mavash out there for a ministry trip. Ends of the earth. Well, it's Turkey, but you know what I mean. It's a start. We need to see the vision is not a small thing. It's huge. It's that the, the whole of the world be filled with the glory of the, the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We play a part in that. We want to be a center of revival in our nation. We want to see Teesside transformed. The thing that the Apostle Paul makes very clear, I think, at the end of this letter to the young church in Colossae is this. However big our vision, the church that Jesus is building is about people joining together for his glory, whether high-profile or anonymous, each with a part to play. Some will, will get prestige and be seen, but the real heroes are the ones who work behind the scenes, enabling it to happen.